hear the scripture passage for today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Take to heart these words that I give to you this day. Impress them upon your children. Recite them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you wake up. Bind them as a sign on your hands and as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. On Wednesday of this week, I traveled with some members of the church staff to Corpus for David McNitsky's brother, uh, brother's funeral service, memorial service. And I, I had the opportunity to ride in the back seat of a car with uh, some people whose opinions and experiences I really respect. And so when we were about an hour out of San Antonio, I asked them to talk to me about their experience of raising teenagers, because we're about to start this stage of parenting at our house, and I just have the feeling that it's going to be a little bit different from the early childhood years. I have this feeling that all my emotional baggage is about to be unpacked, and it's not going to be a clean suitcase. And so I I asked them, are there things that you've come across, resources that you've seen, books, that you've read that are particularly helpful. One of them laughed and threw up her hands. <laughs> and the other one pointed to the book that was on the floorboard of the car, picked it up. It was a Bible. And he said, this <laughs> is the book that is most helpful during the teenage years. These are the words that you'll want to read. Helpful words. The Bible is full of them. Important words. So important are Jesus' words to the gospel writers that when Jesus teaches a parable or has words of instruction, the words are often followed by the phrase, those with ears, listen. A similar phrase is repeated in the book of Revelation when John writes to the churches after his instruction to each church in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. The phrase, those who have ears will listen. Important words. Words seem to be so important, so significant uh, to the concept of our beliefs and our faith that when John goes about introducing us to the Messiah, he opens his gospel, first chapter, first sentence, first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Words are important to us, to the faithful. And in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, we have the words of the Shema that are also significant and important to us. So important, I I have thought this week are words to us that I need to be a person who is more mindful of the words that I speak. A person who chooses words instead of letting words choose me. Now maybe 
this is the reason that I like Moses so much. Because circling, swirling around the story of his life is this theme of words. When Moses gets his call, it comes from a bush that is burned but not consumed. And God's voice speaks from this bush. And Moses' response to God's voice is, Oh, you don't want me. You don't want me because I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Essentially, you don't want me because I don't have the words. And then at the end of Moses' life, we have this sermon, this book of Deuteronomy. In my Bible, it's more than 30 pages. And Eugene Peterson says in the Hebrew form, it's, it's 70 pages. We have word upon word upon word that pours forth out of Moses' mouth. This shepherd boy, shepherd boy who had no words becomes this preacher who can't stop talking. Words are important. And these words in the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy, the Shema that we've been reciting together as a congregation, the Jewish people have been reciting together for thousands of years. Hear, O Israel, begins the Shema. Hear, H-E-A-R. Listen, this is important. I have a friend who says it's as if God takes Israel by the scruff of the neck or by the collar and says, pay attention. You'll want to hear this. This is really important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You'll see it translated both ways. And both are important to us. Because it reminds us that we worship one God that is unified. It stood against the common belief at the time that there was one major God who was surrounded by several minor gods or goddesses that helped him, supported his efforts. Also coming from this teaching is the Jewish belief that God is the source of all things, all experiences. Now, if your days are much like mine, uh, you may have some good experiences and some bad experiences, some positive ones, some negative ones, some pleasant experiences, some painful experiences. And yet Jewish thought is God is much like a prism. The light that comes through a prism. We, what we may see is a range of colors, a rainbow of colors, but it all comes from one source, one unified God. This also stands against the belief, the main tenet of Zoroastrianism, which was there's a good God and an evil God, and they're in competition. No, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith say otherwise. In fact, in John's Gospel, we hear these words, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not, the darkness will not overcome it. Yes, there's evil, but it's the light that shines the strongest. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. The first words after the command, love, 
is an acknowledgement that we worship one God that above all else is loving. And so that God creates in us a love that acts as a response, giving love back to God. And then Jesus said, love to other people as well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Rabbi Lieb Shapiro says that in Jewish thought, the heart has two compartments, or, or maybe even two different hearts. There's the place of good intentions, and the place of bad intentions. And so when the Jewish people say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, they're saying, put it all out there. The good inclinations and the bad inclinations. The good and the mess. Put it all out there to love God. If you're like me, I come here on a Sunday morning and, and I want to bring my best. I put on some of my nicest clothes. I comb my hair. I put on a pleasant smile. I have good intentions. But in the Jewish faith, what they want us to know is that we put it all out there. We bring it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to worship God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. To love God with all your soul historically means your very life. Rabbi Akiva, who lived in the second century, loved God so much that he taught the Shema knowing that it was against Roman law. And when the Romans caught him, they sentenced him to a martyr's death, to die a death that was really very slow and painful. It is written that as he died, this torturous death, he recited the Shema. His students were there with him, and they said, Rabbi, how at a time like this, Can you praise God? And his response, as it is written, is all my life. I have pledged to love God with all my soul, and now I have the opportunity, and so I do so joyfully. Now, we will not die a martyr's death, but all of us will have the opportunity to praise God in our dying moments, in our last moments. Praise God with all your life. And then love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's everything you've got, your very strength. In fact, one uh, teaching, rabbi's teaching that I came across said, this even means your financial resources. Love God with your money. And I chuckled to myself and thought, you rabbis aren't very different from the Christian preachers. We want to work money into the message also whenever we can. Then I came across another rabbi's teaching, same thing. And maybe this holds true in the 21st century for the faithful, especially in the United States, that if we are going to love God with everything we've got, with all our might, with all our strength, it's with everything we can get our hands and our fists on. All our resources go to loving God. And then the instruction following this first part of the Shema is take this instruction, impress it, teach it to your children, recite it, inscribe it, bind it to you. It's to be a part of all of our lives. Every day, everywhere we go, is this teaching. Now, I am am reading a book right now by an author named Kelly Corrigan that I'm really enjoying. She's a young mother, and in one of the opening chapters of her book, 
she talks about the bedtime routine at her house. And she says the bedtime routine at her house with two young girls is like being bulldozed by relentless questions and endless squabbling. And I understand that. I get that. In fact, the favorite question at our house right now is the question, why? And I think because of the brilliant way that we've spaced our children, that we won't be finished answering the question why until the year 2016, maybe even 2020. I'm not sure. The question why, it's a favorite of children. And the one who wrote Deuteronomy knew this. You see, in the first part of Deuteronomy, we have the Shema. We have the important teaching. In the last part of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, we have this. When your children ask you, what is the meaning of these commands, of this instruction? Do you hear it? What's the meaning? Really, that's the question. Why? When your children ask you why, respond with what? Go ask your father. There is no why. No more questions. No. Deuteronomy says, when your children ask you why, tell them the story. Tell them about how we, how we were slaves in Egypt. How God delivered us with his mighty hand and showed to us many wonders, many works of power. And then delivered us to the promised land. Tell them the story. The story they will remember. Now I get this. My daughters and I last weekend went to see the play Into the Woods over at Alamo Heights High School. And at the opening scene of this play, all of the characters are lined up on the stage. And they briefly refer to their identity by saying just a few words of the themes of their stories. We're about three minutes into the show, and my seven-year-old leans over to me, and she says, Jack and the Beanstalk, Red Riding Hood, Cinderella. She immediately knew who those characters were. She remembered their stories so much better, so much clearer than my words of instruction. Uh, Things like, be resourceful. You can overcome any obstacle that's in your way. Don't talk to strangers. And be patient. Good things come to those who wait. Those words she doesn't remember. The stories she remembers. So when my children ask me why, why this faith, I think I might tell them the story of a man a very humble man, a plumber, who lived his life with such grace and mercy that when he died, his children put on his grave marker, a common man of uncommon virtue. I think I might tell them the story of his wife, who at an early age suffered in her family an untimely and tragic death. And yet in spite of that loss, She grew to become a very insightful, thoughtful, and faithful woman. I might tell them the story of their daughter, that couple's daughter, my mother, who when one of her children, her son, became very ill, so ill that they had to together leave the town where the family lived 
to go to Scott and White Hospital. They weren't the only ones who went to the hospital, but members of their faith community went with them. And the family was strengthened and encouraged. I might tell them the story of my father, who when I was 16 came home one Sunday night after an Emmaus retreat and said, things are going to be different around here. They're going to be much better. I might tell them the story of my sister, who in all her 28 years never met a kid she didn't love, never met a brat, never met a bad seed, and how as of last year, she's the one of us who is blessed with stepchildren. And I might tell them my experience of being a student, how in every class I went into, I sat in the back row, And I hoped upon hope that the teacher would not call on me or even notice me because I had no words. You don't think they'll believe it, do you? (laughs) It's true. Those are the stories that I will tell. Which stories will you tell?